Heavenly Father, we offer you our thankfulness. Where do we even start with being thankful for what you've given us, Lord? I, it, it's hard to even get going. We, we are so thankful. And God, I, I look at this prayer concerns list and I think about um, Patrick Bacorny and that his treatments are done and that they have been successful and we just offer you thanks. We, we've been praying for him through this process and we're just thankful, Lord, that it's done and it seems to have worked and we pray for a continued healing. God, we know that there are many among us who need your healing touch. I think about uh, these folks among us who have been struggling with cancer for a long time, Strokes that have, people that have had um, surgery to replace knees and back surgery, and God, there, is, there are many that need your healing touch. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunities we have, and I know that uh, the Lindquists, with this racing season, they're always concerned about Dom's safety and the safety of the other racers, but I also know that it is such a unique opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ at these events. And I just pray that there would be opportunities for exactly that. Lord, we pray for Dawn's daughter, Amber, uh, with some of the struggles she's having with the feeding tube. And, and just pray, Lord, that you would touch her and, and calm down her system, that she might be able to get back to life as normal again. We pray for Trista, Lord, as she's working on this thesis, and there's been some challenges uh, that have made just getting that happening, Lord, um, difficult. So, Lord, just open up her mind, and uh, may she write what you've called her to write. God, we love you. We know that there are many who are suffering from mental health issues and need your healing touch there. Sometimes it's easy, Lord, to to see someone with cancer or a broken arm and know that we need to pray for them, but it's sometimes more difficult to see when people are struggling with mental health issues. But it's so real and it's so around us, God. Please help us to be encouraging to the people around us and touch their lives in a healing way. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Oh, it's the post-Easter funk that we're in now, isn't it? That week after Easter when it's like, oh, I, I got excited to come to church on Easter Sunday, and then this Sunday rolls around, and it's like, oh, this bed feels really comfortable. For those of you at home enjoying your easy chairs, um, there is a portion of all of us that uh, wishes we were there as well, but we're just happy you're joining us online, even if it's, it might be Sunday morning for you, you might be listening along now, or you might be seeing this later in the week. We're just happy that you're participating with us and in fellowship with us. But what happens next? I mean, Easter's over. So what happens next? Do we just go on about life like nothing happened? I hope not. Here we are at the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, and I'm wondering, where do we go from here? 
Have you ever thought that is exactly the question that the disciples must have asked themselves? Now what? We did not expect Jesus to die. We definitely did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. And then he did. Now what? Well, let's find out. But first, we're going to pray. God, as we open up your word today, it is with expectation. We need you, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us from your word and help us to understand. Lord, interpret for us so that we can hear from you. Amen. Well, we finished the book of Luke. Of course, just as a reminder, we skipped six chapters in between. So we will be coming back to chapters 13 through 19. Maybe this summer, we'll see how the Lord directs us. But we're going to take a little break from the book of Luke. Um, I I didn't think it was um, the right time to just jump back into that because I think the Lord has something for us for the next few weeks. I told you when we were going through the book of Luke that Luke is one of two books that Luke wrote. Volume 1 is the Gospel of Luke. Volume 2 is Acts. Yes. So if you did not know that, that's the truth. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Those two books go together. They are meant to go together. They are very specifically designed to go together. And Acts picks up the story. So why is it called the book of Acts? Have you ever wondered that? A-C-T-S. It's kind of a weird name for a book. Some people, if you look at like a, a Catholic Bible, it will say the Acts of the Disciples or the Acts of the Apostles. And that's not a wrong name because the book of Acts is a book that says what did the disciples do after Jesus left them. But actually, I prefer a different name for the book of Acts. Although it is appropriate to say the Acts of the Apostles, I think it is much more appropriate to say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moving and empowering the apostles is what the story of Acts is about. And of course, Acts is the story of how the church formed. Acts is volume two in the two-volume series, Luke and Acts. Now, Before you start getting nervous, I'm not going to launch into a 50-sermon series on Acts. I've already done that in Sunday school, okay? We're not going to go all the way through Acts, at least not now, maybe someday. But I do want, want to show you what happens next. We are in the Sunday after Easter, so let's look at what happens next. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at just the first 10 verses, 1 through 10, and then we're going to do Uh, something different, but I want to show you the first 10 verses. So, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, 
Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. There you go. The beginning of the book of Acts. Now, sometimes I think we do something that is not good uh, in the church. I think that as soon as Easter goes away, we just go on to the next thing. Like Easter, like Resurrection Sunday just is done. It's, it's kind of like when we, we celebrate Christmas and then Christmas is done, it's just done. I know people that immediately when Christmas is done, they take the decorations down. And Easter's even worse because, I mean, most of the celebrations that we do, unfortunately, are like, go find the Easter eggs. Well, once you find them, it's not like you hide them again. And I mean, it's done. And we just move on. But I guarantee you, Okay, unless, you, unless you didn't find them all, and then you find them rotten, you know, a month later. But I guarantee you for the disciples, Resurrection Sunday was not the end. And sometimes we forget what happened next. Well, this is a New Testament timeline question. If you were part of, of that sermon series a number of years ago now, you will know that there is a period of time... After Resurrection Sunday, until Jesus ascended into heaven. So a quiz question for you. How long was it between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and when he ascended to heaven? Anybody know? 40 days. I just read it. I just read it. So if you didn't know that, you weren't paying attention. So now you better be paying attention. Okay. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, and I just read this, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. After he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 40 days! Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. Do you know that uh, Easter this year was April 4th? That would mean Jesus would be with us until May 13th. Jesus would be with us right now. Now, he wasn't with them all the time. He sort of appeared and then disappeared, and he was with some and then not with others. And, but he was there, and he was bodily present, like he had flesh and bones. But it was over a period of 40 days. So for the disciples, it's not like we... Th this is different for us. Like, we, Easter's done, we move on to the next thing. That was not the way it was for the disciples. For 40 days, Jesus was appearing and disappearing. He was coming and he was eating fish with them for 40 days. And in fact, did you know that in many countries around the world, this is a holiday, Ascension Day. Ascension Day is a holiday on May 13th. And in some countries like France and Belgium and even Indonesia, Indonesia isn't even a primarily Christian country, but in Indonesia, Ascension Day, May 13th, is a holiday. Like they don't work. Mail doesn't get delivered. 
on May 13th. In America, we don't even know what it is. Isn't that strange? In Indonesia, a primarily Muslim country, they have a public holiday celebrating the ascension of Christ, and we don't even know what it is. I find that to be so odd. It's just strange why we do the calendar the way we do it sometimes. Ascension Day in the United States is not a public holiday, and it's even more amazing, and this has been true in our church as long as I've been here and even longer, we don't celebrate Ascension Day. Well, we're going to celebrate it this year. So May 13th is actually a Thursday, and in, in churches around the world, sometimes they celebrate it on Thursday, always the, the Thursday that's that many days after Easter, or you can celebrate it on Sunday. So this year, if I remember, or if you remind me, we are going to, but isn't that crazy we have to remember? Why is this something that we don't think about? Isn't that strange? I think it's very strange. Let's change that. Let's change that. Because I think that the 40 days between the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus were critically important to the formation of the church. The 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension were so vital to shaping what the church became. And I would like the next 40 days to be critical in shaping this church. This church. I want this 40 days, as we remember that Jesus was with the disciples, to be a unique time of shaping in our church today. Jesus spent this time. He spent this time, according to what we just read, convincing His followers that He really was alive. He really was risen from the dead. He really had defeated death. He spent this time in fellowship with His disciples. He spoke with them. He laughed with them. He even ate fish with them. He was with them. He loved them. He guided them. And I I can only imagine what those 40 days must have been like. How would you like to have had just one day with the risen Christ? How would, can you, our minds, we, we can't even fathom what that would be like. I have a list of questions that would not end if I could have one day with the risen Christ in person, physically, nail holes still in the hands and the wrists. Or I, can you imagine what you would ask Jesus if He was with us right now? What if this was part of that 40 days? Oh, guest speaker today, Jesus Christ. We're going to have a small fellowship time afterwards to eat some boiled fish. Anybody want to show up for that meal? I hate fish, and I would go to that meal. I would, go, I would eat fish at that meal, okay? And that would be like the ultimate sacrifice. Can you imagine having, having 40 days with the risen Christ? How would that change this church? And yet we forget about Ascension Day like it's nothing. We don't even think about that 40 days. We must change this. So what does it mean? What does it mean that Christ was with them? Well, look at Acts chapter 1 still, but now verses 4 and 5. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
What were the disciples thinking when Jesus said that to them? I mean, it's hard to even fathom. I mean, what could this mean? How could this happen? How, how will we be different when, when we go to Jerusalem? And then, and then on May 13th, for the disciples, they went to Jerusalem because Jesus ascended to heaven. They went to Jerusalem and they received the Holy Spirit. What I want to challenge you with today is to ask you, what does it mean that the disciples received the Holy Spirit for you? I don't know whose car is going crazy out there, but it's beeping. Ken, would you close the door so we don't get the beeping constantly with us? I think that's God saying, you need to listen to this sermon. I might be interpreting that incorrectly. What does it mean for us today that the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that we have the Holy Spirit? How does this change our lives? There are many, many ways that we have been changed by the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit having boldness in preaching, having words given to us if we're on trial. All of those things are about the Holy Spirit, and I, I would like to talk to you about them, but today I want to talk about one thing about the Holy Spirit, just one of those ways that the Holy Spirit changes us. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was a strict Jew and a fierce enemy of the early church the early followers of Jesus. But his life changed completely when he had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. You can read about this amazing story in Acts chapter 9. Now, after Paul became a follower of Jesus, God called him to preach the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles of the world. And Paul traveled from city to city all across the Roman Empire, telling both Jews and especially Gentiles about the good news of Jesus. Can you imagine that ministry? Can you imagine just listening to those sermons? Paul said, Jesus defeated death. Jesus was God himself visiting us on earth, defeated death, and we can defeat death as well because of what Jesus did. And every city that Paul went to, a little church was formed from the believers that believed Paul's message. One of those cities was in the country of Greece, the city of Corinth. Now, Paul stayed in Corinth for a couple of years, and then God prompted him to move on in his ministry to another place. But after he'd been gone for a year or two, he got word from somebody that there was problems in that church in Corinth. There were divisions and disagreements that had sprung up among the people of that church in Corinth. Now, Paul was not able to personally travel back to Corinth, but he did write a letter and had it delivered back to the city of Corinth, basically telling them what to do about these divisions. He gave them instructions. He led them, even though he wasn't with them, he was able to send them that letter so that they would know what to do about the divisions. The letter of 1 Corinthians is that letter. 
I want us to focus on a portion of chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians today. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Actually, not a portion. We're going to read the chapter. It's only 16 verses. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. A spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Only 16 verses. Only 16 verses. Now, my guess is, because you're kind of coming into this cold, your eyes almost would cloud over hearing all of that because there's so much in there. We're going to break it down because I want you to catch something here that I believe is truly amazing. I've studied and taught 1 Corinthians many times. In fact, the, the Sunday school class that we had in the fellowship hall for many years, I taught all the way through 1 Corinthians, verse by verse. But I've never seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 what I believe God has shown me today. It was there the whole time. The first five verses that we just read, Paul begins by explaining that the message he brought to the Corinthians was not special because he was a gifted speaker. On the contrary, Paul says he came in weakness and fear and trembling. He did not speak well, and his message did not depend on him speaking well. Instead, his message was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that was enough. This was more than enough, and this is more than enough for their faith to rest upon. It's more than enough for our faith to rest upon. But then I want you to look at verse 6, because something amazing is, is here. I want you to get this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-8. through eight. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, 
a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, this is interesting. Because in that little section I just read, Paul declares that there is a secret wisdom at work in the world. A wisdom that only comes from God. The wisest men cannot discern that secret wisdom of God, nor even the wisest women who are wiser than the wisest men. No one has been able to discern this secret hidden message from God until the arrival of Jesus. Nobody saw what Jesus was going to be. Nobody knew because God had not revealed it fully. And so this begs the question, doesn't it? How can we gain this wisdom? Well, now look at verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see that this is a direct quotation from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. So Paul quotes Isaiah 64, verse 4. And he, he's saying this because he's saying, Isaiah knew that God had a wisdom he had not yet revealed to mankind. It was hidden. Even to the greatest of people in the Old Testament, it was hidden. It was not made known. But then, God, or then Paul says something in verse 10. Look what he says next. After this, he says in verse 10, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Now, God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The secret wisdom of God that nobody before Jesus, nobody knew that wisdom before Jesus, we now have access to this hidden wisdom that nobody had access to before Jesus. How? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, we have access to knowledge of God that nobody before had access to. <coughs> this is profound, but it's even better than you realize. <coughs> I want this to be an aha moment for you. It was an aha moment for me this week as I studied this. <clears throat> Think about what Paul was saying. There is a special wisdom of God that He has kept hidden from all mankind from the beginning of creation, and you now have access to it if you have the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Let me ask you a question. Who has access to the Spirit of God? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to the Holy Spirit. This again is one of those amen moments. If we were in a Pentecostal church, I'd be getting a lot better amen than what I got right there. You guys are like, that's logically interesting. Okay? Not... That's amazing. Amen. Thank you. Okay, that was really pathetic, but we're going to move on. We have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus told His disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they received the Holy Spirit. This happened after Jesus' 40 days with them, after His ascension to heaven. 
We, like the first disciples, have received the Holy Spirit. This means we have access to the hidden wisdom of God. But what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? This is the exact point where I deepened my understanding through the Spirit of God this week in this passage. Okay, so now let's look at it together. Look at verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written in Isaiah 64, 4, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. And the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. My whole life, and I want you to hear this, my whole life, I think I've been missing something in this passage. My whole life until this week. Because in my whole life, I've read this passage dozens of times. I like the book of 1 Corinthians. But here's the way I've applied this passage. So, no eye has, con- has conceived, has seen. What God has prepared for us. What God has prepared for us. I have always interpreted that to mean heaven. I have always interpreted this verse to apply to heaven. In other words, I always thought Paul was saying, God has been preparing heaven for us. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to us that we have an eternal home. Now, I believe that I wasn't wrong. I believe that that's right. I mean, I still believe this. After all, you know, Jesus, you know, you know, I have gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? I've gone to prepare a place for you. So I've always interpreted this verse like that. And you hear that verse often at funerals, right? That Jesus went to prepare a place for us. And the word prepare is there. So I've always just thought this verse in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was talking about our eternal reward. That the Holy Spirit is showing us, revealing to us that our eternal reward is being prepared for us. But, listen to what else Paul says. And this next section that I read, when I read it the first time, I saw your eyes glaze over. And my eyes glazed over also when I read it because I didn't really understand how this next section we read could apply to what I just said. I didn't understand how this next section, it didn't make sense to me because if Paul's talking about our eternal promise, our prepared heaven, then what does this next section mean? I didn't understand. So listen again to verses 10 through 16. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Are your eyes glazing over? Try to track this. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Now, I'm about to wade into some deep theological waters. Put your duck waders on. 
Are you ready? Look again at verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? What does that mean? Sounds confusing, but think it through. Consider your own private thoughts. No one, not even those closest to you, know what your thoughts are if you don't tell them. Right? They are private. They are inside you. And there's only one person who knows what those thoughts are, you. And the way Paul says this is, the spirit inside you is the only one who knows your thoughts. Do you got that? But now look what Paul says next in that same verse. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now think this through. Paul has just done something very important. In the same way that our spirit is the only one who knows what our thoughts are, in the same way, Paul is saying, God's Spirit is the only one who knows God's thoughts. And here's the aha moment. What gift did Jesus tell his disciples, and that includes us, what gift did Jesus say they would receive? God's Spirit. Look at verse 12. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. We have received the Spirit of God. Now, this is where I want this, this to really sink in. As you consider what Paul just told us about God's Spirit being the only one who has access to God's private thoughts, you might even say His hidden wisdom. Do you know what this means? We have access to God's private, hidden thoughts. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, because he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Church of God, Bertha, Minnesota, hear this. You have access to the mind of God. Verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? By the way, that's another quote from Isaiah. And just like the first quote from Isaiah, where Paul says, 
you know, no eye, has heard, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but then he adds, but now you have the Spirit. Now look again, a quote from Isaiah chapter 60, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but then Paul adds, look what he adds, but, again, it's but, it's again, it's the same thing, but we have the mind of Christ. The hidden knowledge of God is ours. We have access to God's private hidden thoughts. We have access because we have access to the Spirit. The Spirit of God, just like our spirit, is the only one who knows the private thoughts of God. And we have the Spirit in us. What does that mean? It means the very thoughts of God are ours for the having. Verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. You see, I've always believed that this section in chapter 2 only talked about the future promise of heaven. But it's more than just that. It's not that God has only prepared heaven for us. Look again. Look again. It's more than that. And if you just, just to help you frame this the way I'm trying to frame it, Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is a very famous verse of Scripture, but listen to the end of this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But now listen to the end of this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What has God prepared for us? Just heaven? The things that were hidden in God, the things He prepared for us, it's not just heaven. Now put it together. Back in Corinthians, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. You guys, only God's Spirit knows His thoughts. We have God's Spirit, so we have access to God's thoughts. God's hidden thoughts about what He has prepared for us, both in heaven and right now, we have access to. You can know God's thoughts for your life right now because you have the Spirit. Right now, you can know God's thoughts for what He wants you to do right now because you have the Spirit, and only the Spirit knows these things. <coughs> Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. Read that. Read that last line. Read it out loud. Now change it to first person. If you are a Christian, change it to first person. Say it again. Say it again. Do you even comprehend the power of that? How do we get access to? If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is ask. 
I think most Christians don't know how to do this. In fact, I am convinced that this is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. See, we have access to the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have access to the Spirit who gives us access to the private thoughts of God. But somehow, we have been deceived into believing that we don't. Well, I wish God would just tell me what He wants me to do. I wish God would just tell our church what He wants our church to do. Does it seem like you're drifting and off course? You have the mind of Christ. Ask Him and listen for the answer. Now, here's the thing that's amazing to me. Because when Christians talk about prayer, do you know what we think of? And this is probably, in large part, the fault of the church and pastors over the centuries. Because when you think of prayer, if I said, what is prayer? What you might think of is me standing up here for an indeterminate amount of time, jibber-jabbering to you in flowery language. That's probably what you think of in prayer. And somehow you probably have decided that prayer for you is you praying to God, maybe at night, Lord God, please be with us tomorrow. Um, Protect us as we go about our business and give me opportunities, Lord, to share your gospel. And, And Lord God, we love you and please be with grandma, whoever, who's got a broken leg, and and help them get through that, and amen. That's what we think prayer is. Hey, you have the mind of Christ. Do you know what that means? You can ask Him, and He will tell you. See, here's the problem with praying, Christian praying today. We think praying is us talking. Yes, there is some of us talking because it's a conversation. But do you know, I believe praying is much less of our talking, and it's supposed to be us listening. Just imagine if you were during that 40 days when Jesus was here. If I was having Jesus here for 40 days, do you want to know what I would do? Think about what you would do. I'll tell you what I would do. I would ask him questions. I would say, God, Lord Jesus, tell me what I need to do here in Bertha as the pastor of this church to make the kingdom of God expand. Tell me what I need to do, Lord, so that we can come together in unity. God, we tell us. And then I, you know what I would do? I would shut up. Right? Wouldn't you? If the risen Christ was standing in front of you, was sitting and saying, let's, let's have a fish fry. If Jesus came up and said, let's have a fish fry, okay? I would politely eat the fish, like I said earlier, and I would shut up because I would just want to hear what he has to say to me. Wouldn't you? But how do you pray? Think about how you pray. The last thing we do when we pray is be silent. That's messed up. I'm calling it out. That's messed up. Does it seem like your relationships are strained because of COVID? You have the mind of Christ. Ask and listen for his answer. Does it seem like our church is divided because of face masks? 
We have the mind of Christ. Ask and listen for his answer. How do we do this? Pastor Mike and Pastor Sarah, would you please come up here? I'm not sure Mike's... Uh, Mike left. I need somebody else to volunteer. Come up and hand these things out, would you? We're going to do something. We're moving into the application. Trista, would you help hand these out? One to every person. Kids can get one if they want one. Definitely the teenagers get one. Teenagers and adults. You're going to be getting something. We're going to try something I've never tried before in our church. This is a 40 days of purposeful prayer, seeking the mind of God for our church. This is journal number one. It's going to take us from April 11 through April 24. Two weeks. In two weeks from today, I'm going to hand out another two-week journal. Now, here's my hope. We have access to the Spirit of God. We need to ask Him, and then we need to be quiet and listen for His response. I'm going to ask you to do something that you maybe have never done before, and I know this sounds bad. I'm going to ask you to actually listen for God's answer. (laughs) Think about that. This is a prayer journal in which most of what you're going to be doing is being silent. Most of what you're going to do with this prayer journal is be silent. You're going to ask a question, and you're going to be silent and listen for the answer. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you just look at the first page, every page is a day. So this is Sunday, April 11, 2021. Okay? There's a a section of Scripture, and then there's a question. This is a question I want everyone in our church to be asking this same question each day. Do you see how this is going to be interesting? Everybody in our church is going to be on the same page asking the same question of the Lord each day. And what I want you to do is write the answer that you hear from the Lord. So here's here's today. This is the scripture. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. And then the little box there says, Ask God this question today. Listen and write down his answer to you. Here's the question for today. Lord, how do you want me to be still in these next 40 days so that I can hear you speak to me? This is not something that I've purchased. This is something that I just put together as the Lord directed me. All of the que- Every day is a different scripture and a different question. And these, this exercise is designed for the first 14 days to bring you into the Lord's presence in a way that you perhaps never have been before. So some of these questions you're going to ask are questions like, search me, O Lord, and tell me, if there is something wrong about my walk right now. Because to hear God's Spirit, we have to get in God's throne room. We have to get right. And many of us are not right right now. 
Some of us are so frustrated about the circumstances of the past year that we can barely even function because we're so upset. That's true. That's true. Some of us are so, we're so in a, in a state of depression because of everything that's happening that we can't think. I'm asking you to give these questions to the Lord and let Him speak to you. And that's it. Now, I purposely didn't put something in this journal because I wanted you to write it on here in your own handwriting. Put it right up here on the top. You ready for this? I want you to write one word with an exclamation point. Unhurried. Unhurried. Now think about what we're doing. We're going to be asking God questions and we're going to be waiting on the Lord to answer. The only way this works is if you are unhurried. Consider if if we were in that first 40 days and Jesus came to our church, he appeared, the risen Christ is in front of us, and we say to Jesus, I don't have time to eat fish with you today, Lord. I really only have about five minutes, so just go ahead. I'm going to ask you a question, but just say something, and then I'm going to get out of here. Do you think God's going to respond? Lord, I, 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 I just can't wait very long for the answer, so I just got to get going. No. Unhurried. Now, on some days, unhurried might be 15 minutes because God tells you what you need right away. On other days, it might be longer or shorter. It's not the amount of time. I'm not saying you need to do 30 minutes a day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whatever time you give this every day, it needs to be unhurried time. If you cannot find time in your day for unhurried time to do this, you have a spiritual problem. You have a spiritual problem. So I'm calling you out. Unhurried time is what I'm asking of you. And every one of these questions you're going to ask the Lord, I would like you to write the answer you hear from Him. Now, God is not a vending machine. You don't put in a quarter and get a Coke, okay? God might decide that the answer you hear from him that day is silence. And he might decide that you just need to be silent for a period of unhurried time in his presence on some of these days. So if that's what you hear, if you hear silence, then write silence. But my guess is, once you begin writing what you're hearing from the Lord, My guess is this won't be enough space because I am absolutely convinced God wants to speak to us. And we have the mind of Christ. We have the Spirit. We have access to the hidden things of God. And these things that He has prepared for us, that's not just heaven. It's what He wants us to be doing right now along with heaven. Do you see that? 
God is ready and waiting to tell us what He wants. I want our church every day together to ask God. This is a 40 days of purposeful prayer, the same 40 days Jesus was with His disciples. And if we can approach this the way they did, unhurried time with the Lord, I'm excited by what God has for us. What He has for you individually, but even so much more than that. What He has for this church. God is bigger than COVID-19. And He has so much more for us than where we've been for the past year. Don't you feel that to be true? Don't you feel that in your heart? to be true. If you are at home, it was on the screen, text me, I will get you a journal. And the last thing I'll say is this. This is a 40 days of purposeful prayer. I have been announcing on and off that we have prayer groups that meet. One is on Monday. The Mords meet on Monday. And one is on Wednesday at 6.30. Hey, y'all, those have not been real well attended. I'm going to be in Arizona next week, so I won't be at the Chaffins. But I told the Chaffins to be prepared for a number of people coming into their house to pray. Wouldn't it be appropriate to seek God's answer to these questions together? What if you just invited some people over to your house to pray about some of these questions this week? Just do something informal. Call your friends. Come over. We're going to pray about Pastor Jason's prayer guide. What's stopping you from doing that? I think more than anything else, we're afraid of what God will say. That's why we don't ask and don't listen. Would you pray with me? We have the mind of Christ, which means, God, we have access to the things that you have prepared for us to do. And of course, we have access to the hidden mystery of Jesus Christ that the people of the old covenant didn't know about. Yes, of course. And of course, we have access to the to the heavenly preparations that you've made for us. But how much more do we have access, Lord God, to what you have prepared for us, this church, New Life Church of God, to do right here in this place? We have access to the mind of Christ. We just haven't asked. Lord, we are now going to ask. Holy Spirit, Speak to us. We are focusing together for 40 days. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us the mind of God. Amen.